everybody, Rachel Varga here, the beauty side of Beauty and the Biohacker, and I warmly invite you to check out working with Katie and I. You can go to beautyandthebiohacker.com where you can find our book one-on-one links with either Katie and I. Katie can help you with optimizing your sleep through biohacking modalities, and I can help you with optimizing your at-home and in-clinic skin and rejuvenation journey with skincare, biohacking, dermal rolling, and all of that cool stuff. Be sure to also check out our favorites page where you can find our shortlist of our top biohacking and supplement picks to help you slow your aging on a cellular level. And be sure to use those affiliate links to continue to support the show here and use the promo codes to save yourself some money. Enjoy today's episode. Welcome to Beauty and the Biohacker, where we explore the latest tools and trends in self-care, aesthetics, and peak performance to help you live your most beautiful life from the inside out. I'm your co-host, Rachel Varga, a board-certified aesthetic nurse specialist since 2011 with over 19,000 rejuvenation treatments performed on thousands of patients. And I'm Katie Moore, a self-proclaimed biohacker with three years of self-experimenting in the space of health and wellness technology. I'm on a mission to help you achieve success without sacrificing your health or happiness through my YouTube channel, Katie Type A. So join us as we sit down with some of the biggest innovators in the health space, the movers and shakers of the wellness world, and unpack some of the biggest secrets in the skincare and longevity space. We are Beauty and the Biohacker, and we're thrilled to have you along for the ride. Welcome, friends, to another episode of Beauty and the Biohacker. We are so thrilled that you guys are here, and today we have another very special guest for you. This is actually a personal friend of mine. We go back years Her name is Sarah Dole, and she is a CLCC certified life coach, college golf coach. She's a class A LPGA member, the co-creator of the Best Parts podcast, and now a published author of the book, Your Future Self. Well, thank you. That is quite a list of accomplishments. And in addition to that, she's also been a three-time Big East Coach of the Year, was named LPGA National Coach of the Year in 2015. But despite all of these accolades, she's also super down to earth and Sarah has a great sense of humor. In fact, she says in her book, she believes in the law of attraction, that the toilet paper goes over and not under, and that Charleston shoes should be eaten straight out of the freezer. And I could not agree more. Right now, she's living and working in San Francisco as both a college coach and now a life coach alongside her wife, Catelyn and their adorable rescue dog, Mr. Harvey Milk. And I'm sure we will get into all of that today, but welcome to the show, Sarah. So happy to have you here. Thank you. I hear all of those things and I'm like, who are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) It's fun to hear it. Yeah. Well, you have had quite some success in the golf coach sphere, you know, sphere, um, you've, you know, that has been your kind of life calling your profession since I've known you and obviously way further back, but you recently switched over to life coaching too. And so that's a very, you know, I mean, there's obviously a lot of similarity and crossover there, but it's also a pretty big shift too, in terms of kind of the communication and messaging you're getting out. So we'll get to that. But first I am just kind of curious hearing, you know, your accolades and knowing that you've been a golf coach for gosh, 15 plus years, 
who coached you in the beginning? Because I know you've done, you've had a huge imprint on the students that you have personally taught, but like who taught you? You know, growing up, I was, I played soccer and basketball and obviously golf. And the first person that came to mind is my high school golf coach, Bill Christina. He was, he's still one of my biggest fans. I still keep in touch with him. I actually put something in the book about him and he's the kind of coach that I knew I wanted to be someday. And he's kind of who I emulate a lot of what I do off of. And in fact, I just, I actually sent him a signed book when it came out and I saw him a couple of years ago. He actually uh, put me up for hall of fame for my high school and I got it. And so I went back in like 2016 to give a speech back when we could be in big groups and not be scared. And uh, he actually flew up from North Carolina up to upstate New York and uh, got to see him again. And he was there for the whole weekend. And he's just one of those people that he walks in the room and, and the frequency just goes up. And it's just, that's who I really want to emulate my coaching and the way I live off of is just someone who makes other people want to be better. So I've had a lot of coaches throughout my life with all the sports and a couple that maybe I learned a little bit more what not to do, <laughs> but that's the one that I, I really feel like has been my biggest supporter and really taught me what a real coach can do and the impact they can have. What I'm really excited to learn from you here is something that all of us can really benefit from, which is time management. How can we be smart about getting ish done while still looking after our body, mind, spirit, energy, doing the things that fulfill us. So walk us through how you help your clients kind of like stay on their path and, you know, how they can serve others while still serving themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Time management, anyone that I have coached in the college golf realm will tell you that I am insane about being on time. I grew up playing a sport that if you are late to the first tee, when you have a tea time. So if you have a tea time at eight o'clock and you show up at eight Oh one, you already have a two shot penalty. If you show up more than five minutes late, you're disqualified. You don't even get to play. And you have a certain amount of time to execute every shot that you hit in the game of golf. So it has been ingrained in me since the big, like I started playing golf at eight years old. So that really was something that made me realize it's really important to be on time. And it's just something throughout my whole life that I've learned. And uh, I went to Penn State and Joe Paterno, the famous football coach legend, we always called it Jopa time. If you're on time, you're late. If you're five minutes early, you're on time. So uh, that's just something that's been ingrained in me. And then I've been able to use it in different ways throughout my life. And the big thing, and Katie, you referred to this before we started recording about in the book, I talk about time blocking and how to, I like to go backwards in my day. So if I have to start my day, I have a nine o'clock meeting. It doesn't mean my day starts at 8.55. That means I'm driving to work at, or walking to work at 8.45 or 8.30, you know, getting myself ready, having a good breakfast, getting, you know, showering, doing all the things to, to get ready for your day. That starts at 7.30. And then going to the gym. Well, I need to be home by 7.15. Got to walk the dog. Like you just have to go backwards. So a nine o'clock day starts at 5 a.m. for me. And you have to put in like blocks of time to run for the things that are going to come up for the traffic, for the annoying talkative coworker, who's going to stop you on the way in. I don't have any of those um, things like that. And so I've just really learned to do that. And I've learned to do that throughout my whole week. 
So it's not just every single day, but on Sunday nights, I really take a look at my entire schedule and just make sure that everything makes sense in my schedule. I, I, everything is on my phone. It's on my calendar. All my calendars are synced. And I just think that's a really important way to stay organized. And that doesn't mean that you're always like trying to think about what's next. That's the big thing I think is important is time management is all about being able to be where your feet are. And if you're rushing from one thing to the next, you're always, you're just not where you are. So, and that leads to higher levels of stress and cortisol and all of that. So if we're talking about being a, a successful entrepreneur, working professional, or just a great radiant high vibe human, reducing our stress through incorporating time management is such a key tool that I've done as well to really help to reduce my stress. So I'm glad that you're teaching that type of like blocking off model working backwards. I think that's really cool. I'm going to take some of that into my life. Thank you. Well, and I think I add stress to the student athletes I coach when I'm like, okay, we're packing the van at 545 AM and they show up at 547 and I look at them and they're like, they know (laughs) they're like, sorry, coach. I, I think this is such a kind of great rabbit hole to, to jump down. And I, I think in particular, your, the way you explain time management in, in this percentage block and chunk, it really, I, it resonated for me. I'm sure it would resonate for a lot of people. If you don't mind, I'd actually love to read the introduction to your kind of lesson three or chapter three on time management, which, which starts by the way, with don't be late to your own funeral. Um, So I love that chapter. And it's actually uh, based off of my sister. My sister and I were raised by the same two human beings. And for some reason, I don't understand. We are completely opposite. And she is late 90% of the time. I think I I said it, I was kinder in the book about how often she's late. I think she knows she does it on purpose to drive me crazy. That's what it is. And I want to put a pin in that because I want to come back to that and talk about partners too, because I happen to live with a partner who feels like, hey, we're always on island time, you know, which is, you know, when you live in Hawaii, it's like you show up when you can and that's it. And that's great for him. Doesn't work for me. I'm like, we have to be out of the class. We have to be at this place, you know, we, and so I'm very structured. And so I'm curious about the dynamic, but we'll get to that in a second. Okay. Let's first start with just a brief paragraph where you talk about the true meaning and you say there are only 24 hours in a day. That's 1,440 minutes. And if I only have 1,440 minutes in a day, I'm sleeping for about 480 of those minutes. I'll spend 120 of those minutes at a meal, 45 of those minutes getting ready for the day, five minutes making the bed, 12 minutes going to the bathroom, IBS sucks, we'll get to that, Uh, and 45 minutes commuting back and forth to my job. So if I have an eight-hour workday, that takes another uh, 480 minutes. That means I'm left with a grand total of 253 minutes, and that is not a lot of time. I have just over four hours for me, and if we plan to meet at 6 p.m. and you show up at 6.23, you have wasted 9% of my free minutes. Not cool, my friend. And I love that because... (laughs) You break it down in such a like mathematical equation. You make it so simple and easy to realize that our free time is really like so important and special to us. And there are so many people who just completely don't care and they show up when they can. And for somebody who does take time seriously and who does lives a busy life and is doing a lot of things, 
that can really have ripple effects, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think and time like, management is your love language. I'm just going to put that out there. It's like you want people to respect your time and vice versa. I always find that interesting. What people like hyper focus on is oftentimes sometimes their love language, like Katie sending me flowers and all sorts of stuff. It's, it's kind of cool noticing that. Yeah. And, and having four hours, if you have that busy day and only four hours is for you, you time, how you spend that time is really important too. And making sure that it's not wasted time. I mean, sometimes wasted time is actually necessary. Sometimes you just need to sit and watch Netflix. Sometimes Shit's Creek is where it's at, right? But also just utilizing that time that you have and, the, and what's going to best serve you. So I've added in a lot of morning meditations and morning journaling, evening reading. So I shut the phone and screens off so I'm getting better sleep. And just being aware of those things and knowing where those blocks of time are. If I have an extra 20 minutes and back when I get to go back to the office full time, instead of just sitting there, I'll get up and go for a 20 minute walk around campus, get outside, get some vitamin D. So it's just being aware of where your blocks of time are, where you have extra minutes and how are you going to spend them? I think that's important that whatever's going to help bring more, sounds so cheesy, but bring more joy to your life, right? I absolutely love that. And it's so funny because like, I don't think, Sarah, you would necessarily consider yourself a quote unquote biohacker, you know, with all the fancy gadgets and stuff. And yet you are doing exactly what like, I think most people who are in this space have finally realized is kind of, you know, the, the golden ticket. It's like just listening to your body and doing the things that are actually slowing down time for you in, yeah. in a weird way, you know, like taking the time to go out for a walk and getting the vitamin D, taking the time to really strategically think about your sleep. How am I going to maximize the amount of time I'm getting, you know, for sleep? And I think an interesting thing too, and I, I'm not sure if you guys have either, either one of you have done this, but my fiance and I recently did what we called like a dopamine detox, where we shut off all devices for the day. And we literally didn't in, like engage our brain in any sort of creative activity either. We just wanted to be present and in the moment. It was only one day, but it was hard. And at the same time, time itself as an idea never felt so slow. It felt like oh my gosh, is it really just 11? I feel like we've done so much. And it's interesting when you are so busy, how time can feel fleeting. And when you are not busy and you're focusing on being in the present moment, time can feel eternal. Have you ever experienced that, Sarah? Absolutely. In fact, um, the woman who I got my life coaching certificate, her organization, um, Kate Swoboda, she actually wrote the uh, foreword for my book, she talks about taking 48 hours and going away by yourself and shutting everything down. You could bring a book. That's about it. No electronics. And it's something I absolutely want to do. It's finding the time to do it, like finding the right space in my life. I sometimes will take five hours of no phone. And you're right. Like we're so used to checking in all the time. And it's like, what did I miss on social media? Really nothing. <laughs> but it's just, uh, I think that's uh, really important is to have stretches of time where I'll, I'll do the dog walk without my phone. I like listening to podcasts a lot. And I often do that on dog walks. And then I'm not as present though. So sometimes I'll leave the phone at home and literally watch my dog instead of being like, oh yeah, is he here? <laughs> I think just a little time. It doesn't have to be an entire day. An entire day is amazing. Even if it's a half hour or an hour of just taking that time to, to shut everything off and just be. 
a five minute meditation in the morning actually feels really long. Five minutes on the treadmill feels really slow. I do this kind of practice all the time. So I consider this like my off grid days. I'll hop, hop in my Land Rover with my bestie. We'll go three hours into the bush where there's no cell phone reception. So this is where biohacking comes in with time management and creativity. So I'm not around Wi-Fi. I'm not getting EMFs. My body is detoxing. I'll go to the lake or the ocean. I'll have the earth. Uh, wind, fire, water there, just like really getting back to basics. And my girlfriend, she'll be reading to me while we're like cooking some nice organic local meat. And we may think that, oh, that's a waste of time. That's a frivolous time. But I'll work in the morning and then I'll pick her up. We'll have an adventure. And then while I'm in this mode of disconnecting and really getting back to like the basics, truly, that's where I actually get my best creative hits. So this isn't really like a time waster. And it's funny, I feel like I'm in a time warp when I do that practice, but I'm finding I'm actually doing it a little bit more, sometimes actually twice a week now, but it doesn't have to be a whole day. It can be like a half a day going more into the evening as well. So that's a practice that I do. And I'd love for you guys to chime in on how you guys kind of get your, your quote unquote off grid time too. Yeah. I mean, I think like for me, I've recently come to this idea of, I only, like Sarah, I only have a certain number of hours in the day and it's what I choose to make time for that is a clear indication of what I need in my life. So by that, I mean, I'm starting kind of like this new meditation journey and I'm starting a bunch of like online courses that are very exciting and kind of stimulating my brain in a different way. I don't really have the time for that, quote unquote. I'm very busy. I'm doing podcasts. I'm making videos. I'm interacting. I'm planning trips. Like there's a lot going on in my life, but I will wake up early or I'll set the time at night or I'll, I'll find chunks and I'll say, this is, this is when I'm doing that thing because that thing is important to me. And so it's kind of like a jumping off point. I'd love, you know, Sarah, for you to chime in on this too, because I think you're really an expert in this. How do you decipher what you're going to make the time for? And, you know, or do you ever have any regrets around spending time doing X, Y, and Z? Because I think our fear, or at least my fear of spending too much time doing this thing is I'm going to miss out on the other thing. And so there's this tricky balance that you have to play in your mind, right? Yeah. FOMO is a thing, right? I actually, it made me think of one of the quotes in the back of the book from one of the student athletes that I coached. And she said, one of the things she remembers that I taught her is if it's important to you, you'll find a way. If not, you'll find an excuse. And that's how I look at the way we spend our time. If there's something that's really important to you, you will find a way to find the time. You will create the time. I often come across people that are like, I just didn't have time to do that, coach. I'm like, how much time did you spend on Facebook today? You know, how much time did you spend on FaceTime? How much time did you, you know, I talk about that. I'm like, these are areas where you can find the time for what matters to you. And I think if you can evaluate your days at the end of the day or the end of the week and look back and, and see what you spent your time on, that's what, what matters to you. And, you know, there's those days where you don't have much on your agenda and then you realize, okay, just like we have a, a new apartment where there's this porch out here where I can actually sit in the sun and read and I'm reading way more and I'm realizing how important like reading fiction and nonfiction is, is for me. And I never made time for that before. 
And now it's, it's really something that's important. I think that's, that's the thing to think about is, is if it matters, you'll make time. And I think about my 2020, uh, there's so many words to describe 2020, right? And instead of sitting around waiting for it to be over, 2020 was one of the busiest years of my life because I wrote a book. I got a life coaching certificate. I started a business. I started a social media platform. I did a podcast. I became a mentor coach. I was had clients. I was being a golf coach from afar. There was so much going on. And I realized when I had all of this free time, I started spending on time on what mattered. And that's really shifted for me in 2021 that, you know, I did uh, Oprah and Deepak Chopra's 21 day meditation challenge. I did that twice in 2020. And now meditation, while it's not quite as um, consistent for me right now, it's something I always go back to. I started realizing what matters and that's where I'm going to spend my time. I'm not going to spend my time saying yes to things that are actually a no. And I think that's something I have really learned. If it's someone that I really don't want to spend time with, or if it's something I really don't want to do, I'm not going to do it because it, it, I only have so much time, right? Um, and one quick thing I just want to share about this morning, if that's okay. I had plans to go to the gym. I was in the gym and I was like, I don't want to be here. I was not in the space. So I did a 30 minute workout, which was better than not moving my body at all. And instead I went to the store and I did some shopping and I got home and got ready to talk to the two of you. And I realized that's how I wanted to spend my time. So that is how I spent my time. I love spending my time here on the show. You know, Katie and I, we get to interview like some really amazing humans like yourself, Sarah, and looking back on 2020 and also through the lens of what can I do that my future self will thank me for? Well, Katie and I met last year, right? And um, I've also in one of my masterminds been doing some work with human design and some very like deep inner work, like how do I function? And when you're thinking of when you mentioned briefly about, you know, is it going to be like a yes, a no, or maybe I really hyper focus my time on what a yes is. And with my clients that are clear, yes, if it's a no, if it's a maybe, it's probably not a great fit for a client and I, or also an activity or a project. So that's a great way that I support um, my ability to be laser focused with my time and energy. And I'd love for you to add to that. How do you discern what's going to be like a yes, maybe a no, and how that's worked out for you? You actually made me think of a life coach I heard speak at a conference, I want to say 10 years ago. And I cannot remember her name. So if I can get it to you later, if you want to link her website, I, I, I can picture her. She has this way of, if you want to live a 10 life, like if you want your life to be a 10, think about your 10 moments and what led you to those. And then think about, are you making decisions? If it's an eight, nine or a 10, it's probably a yes. And so it's kind of your own scale. It's usually your gut. I mean, I really follow my gut a lot of the time. And if it's a four or five, you're going to start living a four or five life, right? Or whatever, if you want it to be like an 80 or to 90%, you know, if you want to do it in percentages. And I thought that was really valuable. I, that really helped me start realizing like, is this a, an eight or above? Because if not, I, I don't need to do this. And someone raised their hand and said, well, what about the things that you have to do? That like you have a job and there's a meeting you have to go to or you know, and, and she said, well, that's what I call cardio. No one wants to do cardio, but everyone, you have to do it if you want to stay, you know, fit. So I think about that too. It's like, okay, I'm just doing my cardio for the day. So I, I just, 
I don't know if that, I hope that you're both shaking your head. So I think it makes sense. It's like housework too. Yeah, I get it. It's like, like, yeah, it's like going to the bathroom, eating like the basic fundamentals of like, you just have to do certain things in your life. And those are just part, like you've accepted, right? There's also the acceptance factor of like, these are things, these are my responsibilities. And I've, you know, I, I could just live, you know, in God knows where, like being a bum and just kind of like do nothing all day, but would that life bring me fulfillment? Would that life bring me joy? You know, if I, if I didn't have these things, these projects, these, you know, um, goals and ambitions and aspirations, I don't think I would be the person that I am today. If I was just kind of sitting on the sidelines and letting other people do things. So I think you, you sort of like inherently just to kind of accept some of those as your, your responsibilities, but you don't let it get it take away from the fact that like you have a lot of other things that you're excited and working on. And when you get to work on those creative endeavors, that's where you light up and really, you know, I think you almost need that balance of like some boring stuff and then really highly focused, creative, exciting things like writing a book, you know, and, and Sarah, I would love to talk to you because you did allude to this last year was a crazy year for your, for you. You, you wrote a book, you started a podcast, you got your life coach certification and you're married to an amazing woman, by the way, I, she was my former boss and I absolutely love Kat. And I know she is truly, she's also a time person. So I, I, very much know that you guys are like eye to eye on that or at least no we're not she she well okay so let me just quick backstory I mean we always had to be on time with you know when we showed up for work so she was my former boss back in New York and um on several in several different jobs I kind of just followed her wherever she went but she was like like I always felt at least my impression was like, she liked us to be there at a certain time. She had some wiggle room. Maybe she wasn't quite as obsessive as you about the time thing, but I always felt like I wanted to be show up on time for her. And maybe that's also another thing, but we can get to that later. And, you know, and so I, I'm kind of just curious, like, how did you make time for her? And was there ever a moment where you're like, I don't think I'm making enough time for my partner or my relationship. And they're calling me out on that. Not that that's ever happened to me, ladies. Um, but, you know, it's like it, it's one of those things that sometimes you do put the person you love the most kind of in the backseat when you're working on all these exciting creative projects. And I'm just curious how you guys have been able to balance that. I think that's fun that I think when it comes to work, Kat is always on time. When it comes to personal things, I'm like, come on, we got to we're, we're going here. And she's like, hold on, I just have seven more things to putz around and do. Sorry, Kat, when you hear this, I'm totally calling you out. It's so funny. It's but again, it's like personal versus professional. It's like we can wear two different hats, right? Yeah. Um, I think making time for the person in your life that matters most. I mean, when when you find that person, you want to like just like we just talked about. You want to spend your time with that person, and you want to make sure that you're developing that relationship and it's in the forefront. And um, this made me think of a. This is I, I, I promise I'm going to get back. I, I sometimes go way over here to get back to where we're going. Sometimes people talk about work-life balance, and I don't believe in that. I don't believe that balance is a thing. Like in yoga, if you're balanced, it's for like a second, right? In life, you're never going to be truly balanced. I think it's a work-life blend. And so we both work on uh, the school schedule, and there are times in the year that Kat understands that I am traveling with a golf team, and the golf team is a huge part of my priorities. 
And then there are months and weeks at a time when I have very little responsibility. So I can spend a lot more time taking care of things at home, taking care of our relationship, making sure that I'm the one cooking and doing more of the housework and doing more of the dog walks. And you just find a way to figure out who's going to take care of what. And it's interesting. I was on the road this week. I was just a couple hours south of here in Monterey. And when I got, when I left home, I, I was talking to her uh, from the hotel and I said, you know, when I get away from you, I realize I wish I cherished our moments when we're together more because it's just, we're just together. We've been together for over 11 years. And sometimes you forget to really enjoy every moment. And so that's part of uh, balancing a relationship too with time is we are so used to traveling and being away from each other that when 2020 hit, I was like, are you still here? <laughs> like we had 17 straight months where we both worked from home. And that actually taxed us a little bit more because we're just used to being away from each other. So the time we have together, we really cherish and we really try to, to utilize. And so I think 2020, that was another interesting thing that happened where I was like, don't you need to walk the dog just a little bit longer? I need some alone time. I went on a tangent there, but I think what I said was relevant. Yeah, that was great. And some things that kind of came up for me, because I've been doing a lot of this work personally, professionally, you know, blending all that. So I just want to add some things here. And then I have a question for you. So if we want to excel professionally, we also must excel personally with our relationships, sexuality, and actually really all six of our bodies, if you will. We can't be truly successful if we don't put time and attention on all of the aspects of us. It's, it's that balance. It's adding to this bucket it's adding to that bucket if this bucket's up here but our sexuality and relationships here that's not going to work out so well over time and I like the blending aspect like you said and and being in the present moment this is really important so when Katie mentioned you know potentially doing some different meditation style of of um working with yourself and developing yourself some of the things that I like to think about each and every day to stay present is that every day, and one of my teachers actually taught me this recently, every day is our best first and last day. So Sarah, Katie, how do you all like to stay present? And what came up for you when I mentioned remembering that every day is your first best and last day? This is, this is hard. This is really challenging for me to navigate I'm just starting to kind of go down this rabbit hole of catching myself thinking about my past. And I think I've, I've been sort of trying, like I've been circumnavigating around this idea of separating this kind of past from your future self and being really present with people. And I, I've been sort of in denial that like, oh, I am living in my past. But then when you start to think of things and all of a sudden everything is going back to who you were in the past and you sort of judge yourself and who you are in the moment and what you're doing right now. And you're like, oh, that I didn't do a podcast as good as my last one, or I didn't do a video as good as my last or whatever it is. And there's this constant judgment. And then the minute that you can catch yourself in that space and that time, and you say, that's my past self. Why am I thinking about that? I'm here. I'm right here right now living and, and creating this new moment for myself. That's when the real work begins. So I kind of want to put a pin in this for right now because I am just sort of starting the spiritual journey for myself. It's been a long time coming. I've had a lot of 
things happen for me in the past, losing a parent, which Sarah, I know you also share, and we'll get to that in a second, but it does affect you. It sort of changes your personality. But then if you think about it, you're like, but my personality can become my personal reality, not to quote Joe Dispenza, but you know, it's, it's something that you start to realize, like I'm still in control and I can still enact change every single day. And so for me, I think the best thing that I'm starting to learn is putting the phone down when I'm having a conversation with somebody or putting it in airplane mode so that my focus, my attention is right here, right now with the person and absorbing their information and everything else superficial can wait because it doesn't matter to me right now. I love everything you just said. When I start, when I think about this, I think Every day that you live makes you better for the next day. I think about that with relationships too. Every relationship that you have, like a romantic relationship, everyone ends until one doesn't. But every relationship makes you better for the next one. If you look at an old relationship, you look at who was I in that relationship? Did I, what did I enjoy? What did I like about myself? What should I, could I have done better? And what did that person provide for me that I'm looking for? And what am I not looking for? I think about that with your past self. Uh, the one chapter I know that we're going to talk about is um, there's no magic redo for your childhood. And we've all had stuff in our childhood. We've all had something. We've all had some sort of trauma, whether it's small trauma, large trauma. And that doesn't have to define you. It can just make you realize what matters. And, you know, looking at, at your past self, it's like that past self got me to where I am right now. So it's this place of living of learning from your past self and wanting to look forward of who do I want to be in my future and balancing. I, I, I just said earlier, I don't believe in balance, but like, I don't know what other word to use there. I guess finding that space between the two of, okay, in my past, these are the things that I've done that I'm really proud of. And this is what I know I can do better. And in my future, who do I want to be? So if I'm, if I'm living my life the way I am right now, exactly the same for the next year what's my life going to look like in a year and i'm going to be am i going to be happy with that and if not okay what do i change i think that's a key thing is uh you someone said buckets earlier you were talking about buckets like yeah like the the different bodies of yeah. us like personal professional relationships sexuality yeah. all of that we really need to not uh, what I what I find in a lot of men and women lately is when they are a working professional, they're a parent, they're an entrepreneur, they're just like hyper focused in the professional, very masculine mindset, we got to get shit done. But we forget to be in that more feminine mindset of that literally like receiving mode. So that yeah. actually came up. Um, that that word came up, I think, Katie, when you were speaking, it's when you're speaking with someone, it's like, what can you learn? It's the receiving. So how do you like to receive in your work, Sarah? And how do you see some of your most successful clients receiving? I have a thought I want to about the buckets. And then I want to answer that question. I actually think of it as a wheel and or a pie. And, and you have the different parts of your life. And if one part of your life is off, the rest of it's going to be off. So if you know, part of your wheel has a little dent in it, it's going to be a little bit more of a wobbly ride, if you will. And that's how I work with, with clients is what in your, what area of your life are you not feeling totally fulfilled? What area of your life are you stuck? What area of your life is getting you stuck from being your best self? And what are the small changes that we can make on a hourly 
daily basis to help that area of your life become more fulfilled. So then your entire life is more fulfilled. And so I think it's interesting. I've never thought about like helping my clients with receiving. And I love this question because some many clients I've worked with feel like they don't deserve certain things. And I think it's knowing that you do deserve to receive wonderful things in your life and you got to do the work to get there. And it's a lot of, a lot of our life is really on us and we feel like we don't have a choice or we don't have the ability to make changes where we totally do. We always have a choice. Or we're programmed and we're just running on autopilot on these programs that have been imprinted on us. Yeah, absolutely. I love how Katie is furiously shaking her head. I know she has something very uh, wise to say right now. Oh, I'm I just out of, I'm like, I'm befuddled that people, because I'm also in that same sort of camp where I'm like, I don't think I deserve this or, and, or that's, that was actually my past self. That's how I used to feel right now. I'm sort of transitioning into this new thing where I do deserve it because I, I'm a human and we all deserve good things. If my, if I can wish good things upon my neighbor or stranger, why wouldn't I do the same for myself? The only way I'm going to show up in life for other people is if I'm showing up for myself. So out of curiosity, you know, when you are working one-on-one with clients, and I know on your website, I actually think you do an amazing job of identifying the people that you want to work with by having not only an about me, Sarah Dole page, but you have an about you where the client goes and reads if they're the right candidate to work with you, A, because you don't want to waste their time, but also B, because like, there are certain things that you're going to be able to identify and help them with and that you're real, that are, that's your strong suit. Right. And so I'm just kind of curious, like, what are some of the examples of things that people feel like they, and you don't have to name anything specific, but like, you know, buckets of things like people really need to work on in their life. And how do you kind of assist them with that journey? Yeah. It's interesting because a lot of life coaches have a niche and I don't, I am a generalized life coach right now. I am newer in this area of my coaching career. And I thought I was going to be a health and wellness or a movement coach because I've been an athletics coach for 17 years now. And I started down that path and I didn't like it because I went into advice giving mode. And that's not what coaching is. Coaching is asking the powerful question. So the client gets to the answer. Coaching is helping give them tools, but it's not just like, this is how you should do it. And when it came to movement and people would come to me about things with the gym or working out, I just wanted to give advice. And I'm like, I, this isn't me. So I started doing this thing. Then we learned this through my coaching certification class of pretty much identifying who the client is, where, where they are and where they want to get to. And so it's, it's pretty broad, but I basically work with people who are living a life based in the shoulds based in standards that someone else has given them, which we were just talking about and helping them shift to a life they want to live based in their own standards, based in what they want, not in what they're being told. Like, okay, you're this kind of person. This is what you should be doing. No, it's what do you want to do? And figuring out a lot of the clients I work with, it's, it's figuring out what is lacking in your life. What is it that you see for your future? And now, okay, what are the roadblocks? How are we going to go over or under or around them or right through them? and figure out you know, how to make changes to get to that kind of life. And there's so many people I work with that are just like, they don't, like you just said, I mean, I've gone through it too. You don't think you deserve certain things, but if you don't treat yourself like you deserve it and you don't take care of yourself, then who's going to? 
When it comes to receiving, I'm hyper vigilant of the word choice that I use. So I don't use words like, oh, I'm in lack of this in my life. It's actually, I want more of this. So it's kind of like a different type of mentality and it's opening you up to more of the receiving mode, which is great. And yeah, when you were saying the word should, what came up for me was, you know, y'all got to stop shitting all over yourself. Do you, do you both know who Nora McInerney is? Um, Terrible Things for Asking is her podcast. She has a couple books. She has an entire episode about don't shit on yourself and how we're all shitting on ourselves all of the time. Instead of, I just try and take that word out of it. It's like, what do you want? Not what should you do? What do you want to do? Like this morning, I felt like I should go to the gym. So I did. And then when I got there, I was like, I don't want to do this. So I left. And I think that's where we have to start making those choices is what do you truly want? I recently listened to, it was either a podcast or one of my like favorite kind of philosophical YouTube creators talking about the creativity process and making videos on YouTube. And for years, that was an aspiration for me. I wanted to be a content creator. And all of a sudden, after about a year of doing it, I was like, okay, I got to make a video this week. And I was getting frustrated in the process. And here, like for years, I had dreamed about doing it. And then I was finally living this life of doing the thing I wanted. And all of a sudden it turned for me where it was like, well, this is something now I have to do. So instead, after listening to him talking a little bit about like this opportunity that you have in your life, this thing, this world you've created for yourself, he goes, you get to do this thing every day. This is not guaranteed. Tomorrow, YouTube could completely shut down. And I wouldn't, I, you know, what would I do? And I'd be completely out of my work, right? I have an opportunity every single day to show up and get to do the thing that I love to do the most. And just by changing that dialogue in my own head and saying to myself, today, I get to work on this. Today, tomorrow, I get to do this. There's an excitement that sort of gets reinvigorated in you. And I'm curious, Sarah, like after coaching for 15 years, how do you keep that spark alive for yourself? Do you do something like that to kind of coach yourself through the hard times? Yeah. Um, college coaching is, especially right this last year and a half through COVID was really hard. And I got really burnt out for a little while. And it's, I love the get to versus have to. That is actually one of our core principles for our golf team is when you have, when you say I get to go to practice today, instead of I have to, it's just a complete mind shift. And it's just, all it is is semantics, but it's a different way of looking at it. And so, you know, for me, there are times that I'm like, how much longer am I going to be a college coach? I'm starting to get older and they stay the same age. They're always 18 to 22. I am not. So I got to stay up on like Snapchat and what's the coolest music and what's all, you know, like all of the things, I'm learning all these new words and phrases from these 18 to 20 year olds. And I'm like, oh my goodness, this is exhausting. But I look at it as they keep me young. They keep me going. They, they give me energy. And uh, I just, for example, this past weekend we had, we played in a couple uh, in a tournament and we didn't play great. And I actually wasn't feeling well. I had um, some really bad back pain from the weekend and busted my butt to do my very best for them and to show up to the best that I could. And they know like some days your hundred percent on one day is very different than your best self another day. And that's something that just keeps me going is, is 
Like, like I, I wrote down the quote you said earlier. Um, this is the best first and last day of your life. Like, this is the day we get. And so, yeah, there's days that are harder than others. And I, I don't want to push aside, you know, difficult things. You've got to go through the difficult stuff. And at the end of every day, if this was your last day, is this the last day you would want to live? It seems, you know, simple, but not. It's, I want to show up for the team. I want to show up for the athletes that I coach every single day and give them the best possible situation I can. And there's days that I'm not feeling it. And I tell them like, you know, I'm a little off today. I'm going to do my best. I love that you mentioned semantics because word choice and speaking things into fruition. I know you mentioned law of attraction that there's a lot of power in that. So semantics for me is really important and knowing that my work and offerings are going to evolve. And I accept that and give myself grace. So one of the things that I do, if I'm not feeling my best, like yesterday I had a really bad migraine, I had to rebook someone. And sometimes there's actually a lot of power to that so that you don't show up when you're not your best self. And a lot of times, like if people have to rebook me for something, like I recognize that, hey, maybe they're doing a similar practice as to what I do. And this is very important so that we don't get into that. Okay, let's just push through this. Let's just get ish done. But making sure we are giving ourselves grace, knowing that our offerings and everything that we do, body, mind, spirit, energy, those practices may adapt and evolve as we go through different stages in our lives and what fulfills us. So for Katie, just putting that different spin on being a content creator, finding joy, like you said, Sarah, in like the adulting, like doing stuff that we got to do. It's all, it is all about semantics. Interesting. Sarah, I know um, there's so much more to cover in the book and I am so sad that we are almost out of time. I feel like we could just talk for hours with you about this. There's one last thing, though, I think that is really important to cover because it's something that really spoke so loudly um, in the book. And I've read a lot of the testimonials of people who have also felt this way. And it's it's your own personal struggles and kind of coming to grip with some of those and some of the things that you've gone through in your childhood and in your adulthood and really you know, looking at adversity very differently from a different lens and then being able to talk about it so raw, so authentically. I mean, I think anybody who picks up this book and reads it will feel like they know you because you pretty much just like lay out your heart and soul in a way that I think for me has come across as so genuine and beautiful. So that being said, everyone should definitely go and get the book. It is on Amazon. Your future self will thank you. There's also a workbook. We'll put it in the show notes, but let's just quickly talk about one of the many struggles that, you know, you've, that kind of came up for you and how did you deal with like the emotions of it while you're writing and then even post publishing the book? Yeah. There's, there's two chapters that stick out to me that were the hardest to write. Um, one was more internal, one was more external. So I'll do the external one first. Chapter one is all about taking care of your body. And um, I, this links to chapter eight is about there's no magic redo for your childhood. And I grew up with a mother who was uh, suffering from severe bipolar disorder her entire life, obesity, diabetes, heart conditions, all sorts of stuff, and lived vicariously through my sister and I. And so my physical self was has been a challenge my whole life. You know, a, a mild case of what I would call like self-diagnosed body dysmorphia, where I look in the mirror and I see something that's not there. 
And a lot of it was because my mom always asked me, what do you weigh? And like, she wanted to know what I weighed. She wanted to know, like, she would make comments about why aren't you wearing lipstick? Why isn't your hair down? You know, trying to make me the person she wanted me to be. So chapter one, taking care of your body. I have dealt internally and a fear of coming off as fat phobic. And when I wrote that chapter, I had this intense fear that I was going to offend someone by using the word overweight or using the word fat or obese and referring to weight. And so I really redesigned that chapter to go more to the core of how I've changed from being obsessed with what I weigh to being really keying in on how do I feel in my body. I don't, I have no idea what I weigh right now. And I don't want to know. I know that my pants fit. I have, my energy is high. I feel good. I know that I have a certain body structure and this is, I'm happy. And that's, that's really important. And chapter one was hard to write because I I thought back to a lot of that and a lot of the shame around food and around dieting and body stuff. And, and, and my fear was offending someone talking about weight because, but that was my journey. And so that was hopefully it came across in that chapter and i'm really proud of my rewrite because my chapter i had someone who i really respect say i think this needs to be rewritten so i'm like okay and i'm really proud of the rewrite that it's really more about take care of your body it's the only place you have to live and so and we all have a different body we all have different things we all have different situations and so that one was hard to write on a, it brought up a lot of like emotional trauma from my past and the fear of offending other people. And no matter what you do, you're going to offend someone. <laughs> but as long as I was proud of how the chapter came out, chapter eight was the hardest chapter to write. Cause it's all about my mom growing up with a mom who struggled with bipolar disorder, who basically w- with words and without words told me I wasn't good enough. Didn't matter what I did. Didn't matter how successful I was. And it was a, it was a hard thing to go back and realize I, I started, uh, I was playing the victim role for the longest time. Like, well, how could I, how could this happen to me? How, why is she my mom? And I finally realized, you know, my mom had some serious struggles and she truly wanted what was best for me. It was just, a, she didn't have the tools to be able to communicate it properly. So I did a lot of work with um, inner critic work and my mom's voice is my inner critic. And I've done a lot of work through CLCC and Kate Swoboda actually coached me once on this, um, realizing that your inner critic is there as kind of that bitchy friend that doesn't know how to tell you what they really want to say, right? And I've realized that my inner critic is really trying to help me, trying to protect me. And so once I got to a place with that and I started to realize my mom didn't want to hurt me, she didn't want to be mean and cruel and say those horrible things, um, it didn't take the sting away, but it helped me reframe it. And maybe it's a partly somatics to go from feeling like I'm not good enough to realizing that I really am, but it takes a lot of work, a lot of coaching, a lot of therapy, a lot. And it's, it's always a a work in progress, right? So chapter eight was real. I I keep calling them chapters. They're actually lessons. (laughs) Um, Lesson eight was really, really hard to write. And it was very cathartic to get it out. And And lesson eight is actually... I'm intending to write a second book all about growing up with a parent with a major mental health disorder and how it changed my life, both good and bad. I think you are digging into something called shadow work for yourself and you're encouraging other people that read the book to do that also. It's like dig into what triggers you, feel it, work through it, and know that that is an aspect of of yourself that you can actually use to your advantage once you understand yourself in a deeper way. Yeah. And one of the things we, we learned in life coaching 
is reframing limiting stories goes along with shadow work. You don't just take a limiting belief or a, 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 a capital S story, we call it, and just say, okay, think the opposite and you'll be fine. There's a process you have to go through. So you go from your limiting belief of I'm not good enough. You take time to do some exploring, to give yourself some grace and self-compassion, to do the work, to get to the other side of I am good enough. You have to believe it, but you've got to go through it to get there. You've got to process the emotions around it or you will never get to the other side. That's the truth, isn't it? It's like we can't shortcut our way to feeling better. You have to sometimes accept that it's going to take work and again, time, right? Back to the whole time management thing. Sometimes it's it's not just going to happen instantly and you just have to accept that and you have to plan your life around the fact that, you know what, I will be a better person in a couple months. And that's, that's kind of, you know, or a year, couple of years, like sometimes it's just, you can't even put a time frame on it because you don't know it's the unknown. Um, but one thing I will say is when I was reading lesson eight, I was thinking to myself, what an important message this was. And I am so excited to hear that you're going to be starting, you're going to be writing another book about this because I think this is something that is super relatable. And I think you have a really keen perspective on it and just knowing you personally and what you've gone through and now talking to you and how, I don't know, you, you I'm not going to say the word enlightened, but you just have this energy to you of someone who has totally figured it out. And, and I mean that like not just coming as a friend, but just as someone who is an observationist sort of looking in on the situation, I, I can see the work that you've done. It is so clear. It's, it's really clear. And I think that my friend is where you can start helping other people getting to that place. That's a very kind thing to say. And I had my microphone off because I laughed out loud when you said someone who has it figured out because <laughs> there's days I'm like I've got my shit together and then there's other days I'm like am I the same person as yesterday because I can I I literally I'm gonna just share this story this morning I got home from a trip last night and Kat my wife um, switched the soap in the bathroom because she knows the other soap I don't like I went in the kitchen I gave her a hug and teared up because I said, I can't believe that you knew that I hated that soap. And I was super emotional about the, the scent of the soap in the kitchen. And then there's other days where I'm like, I don't know, I, I, like yesterday, I wouldn't have been like that. And it's just like being the person that you are that day. And like, I like that you said, yeah, I, I feel like I, I am starting to figure it out, but you're always figuring it out. And once you think you have it figured out, you, there's something else. So that's, the, I think, the most important takeaway and, and from this book and from life coaching that I would love to share is this life is a work in progress and we have never arrived. Just it's, it's all about just keep going, keep figuring out life changes and you have to change with it. And it sounds cliche, but it, it, it's so true. I think it's just so important to keep figuring it out, like you said. I, I couldn't agree more. It's like when you do figure it out, you're like, yeah, there's always going to be some other roadblock that's going to kind of pop up. And so I think that, but that's, but you're, you're getting people on the right path and you've, you've taken that journey, you know, with yourself, with your coat, with your clients. And I think the more that we could just educate people about how to get on that path, because a lot of us are just like off center, like going down this other, like, you know, railroad that's leading in a totally different direction. And I think sometimes it's just like, 
bringing that that headspace, that mind back to to where you need to focus your attention and where you need to kind of move forward in life. So I I completely agree. And I'm so grateful for the opportunity to talk with you today, to have your book. I'm sharing it with friends. And I just think your your message just really hit me at the right moment in my time in my life. And uh, I'm super excited that you're going to be continuing this publishing author journey. <laughs> so fun. Well, and I appreciate it. And um, I just love talking about th this stuff. I just think it's, like you said it's earlier, it's so enlightening to just think about how we have choices in our life and just being reminded you have a choice. Every single day you have a choice on how you spend your time, how you spend your money, where your energy goes, who you surround yourself with. And sometimes we forget that, oh, that person's been in my life forever, so I just have to keep them there. No, you don't. Like, this is the way I've always done it, so I'm going to do it this way. Nope. You can always change your life. It's just small choices. And I, I think that's one thing I think we forget about is I do have choices. So choose wisely for your future self. Sarah, where else can people find you? And just kind of as we wrap up here, give us just like a, a quick synopsis of like the best places to kind of get in touch. I know you're sort of all over the place right now. So just uh... <laughs> I, I, honestly, my website, sarahdolecoaching.com. It's Sarah with no H and D-O-E-L-L coaching.com. There's links to all of my social media on there. There's links to the book and the workbook. Uh, if anyone's interested in coaching, uh, there's a, there's always a free discovery call. And that's something that I think is really important is a, um, to have a conversation first to make sure it's a fit for life coaching. And if it's not, I have 50 some odd coaches in my orbit that I would refer out because I want it to be a fit. Uh, I've had a couple of people come to me and I've realized it's not the right fit. So I refer someone else. I think that's important. So yeah, sarahdolecoaching.com. And the book is on Amazon and the workbook. And there's going to be a lot more to come. So Sarah, thank you again so much for taking the time out of your very busy day and giving us about 24% of it. Um, <laughs> we right, really, yeah. yeah, right. We really appreciate uh, everything that you're doing in this space. And yeah, just continue to really shine through your work and through helping clients. And yeah, I'm so excited to see your next leg of the journey. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for tuning into Beauty and the Biohacker today. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to leave a comment or share it on your social media account and we'll give you a shout out. And don't forget to head over to beautyandthebiohacker.com to check out all our episodes and our favorites page where we include our curated list of products with special discount codes just for you guys. And while you're there, sign up for our newsletter because we're sharing some exclusive content and giveaways ways you won't want to miss.